Now, some of you may, uh, from time to time, look at me and just go, that guy has weird haircuts. Or maybe he just needs to pay more money, or he just needs to do something to deal with the, the haircut situation, right? So I just want to let you in on a bit of a secret. Now, I've talked a little bit about this before, about why my haircuts look the way they do. It's because I have these weird conversations with hairdressers, all right? Often I go to the hairdresser and I'll, I'll be tired and I'll just think, I'll just, I'll kind of think, I'll just, let's just, let's get the full introvert thing going and I'll sit there. They can cut, I'll pay them for it, we don't have to talk, right? But most of the time what actually happens is hairdressers start talking to me and they start saying stuff and I just kind of go, well now I just can't help myself, all right? I've got to engage with that. So I was down in Brisbane just recently and I'm starting off today with a couple of stories. I was down in Brisbane recently and uh, I had the most expensive haircut I've ever had. All right, and it wasn't just in terms of my own image. <laughs> it wasn't expensive in that sense. Although there's probably been some of that. I mean, I've had situations with hairdressers where I'll be about three quarters of the way through something that I think they need to hear, and I kind of, I'm not wanting to kind of bow the knee and give their lives to Jesus by the end of the cut, right? But I just want to get a stone in their shoe so they've got something to think about when they go away. And so often they'll say, "How does that look?" And inside I'm going, "That's about right." And I go, "No, it's still a bit long. Can you cut a bit more off?" <laughs> So I'm down there, we're down in Brisbane for this teacher's conference a couple of weeks ago and uh, I just needed a haircut. I was doing a workshop presentation the next day, didn't want to be a scrag, so I went into this, into this shopping centre, uh, Garden City I think it was, and I just went to the first hairdresser's shop I could find, which was Jean Lecourt. <laughs> That's right, I've never paid so much for a haircut in my life. Anyway, this dude in there was a complete non-Jean Lecourt kind of guy, um, he, was, he had tats all over him. Anyway, he came out to do my haircut. And, uh, of course, he asked, you know, you're from here? No, no, I'm not from here. I'm actually from Toowoomba. And what are you doing? Well, I'm at a teacher's conference. I'm actually a teacher. And I said, well, I'm just about to finish being a teacher. And, oh, what are you doing then? Oh, I'm going to be working at church. And that provokes some pretty interesting conversations with people. I'm going to work in a church. I don't, by the way, for projects, but I didn't say I was a pastor, all right? So people love hearing the alliteration of, hello, Pastor Pete. <laughs> And I thank you for that blessing every time it happens. So uh, I said, oh, look, I'm just some dude working in a church somewhere. All right. So uh, he goes, oh, he goes, yeah, I go to church. And I said, oh, what church do you go to? He goes, oh, Roman Catholic. I'm just going, oh, that's interesting. Um, just because it's interesting. And uh, not for any other reason. Um, and, I, and then he goes, oh, but I don't believe that stuff. He goes, I go for my wife and my kids. I thought, oh, well, there's probably something admirable about that. Um, but anyway, the, the conversation went on for, it was quite an extended haircut. And my wife tells me, they don't really care, you know. That's just what they're taught to do at hairdressing school, is to talk to people. I was going, oh, well, maybe. All right, but we'll have a good conversation anyway. So we had this pretty amazing conversation. He ended up, he came out really early on, and it kind of put me off a little bit. He came out and he said he was a pagan naturalist. And I'm just going, okay, is that, the, is that like a proper kind of pagan, pagan person? Or is, that, is he saying he's like, like you're a bunch of pagans? Is, is it that kind of pagan? Anyway, it all kind of came out that um, basically what he said is he said that he was a pagan naturalist. He believed in evolution. And he was basically saying he was um, at best agnostic, at, at worst, uh, maybe he didn't say it like that. He's at least an agnostic, if not an atheist, um, in terms of God not existing. He was happy for everyone to have their own faith, but he just felt like, don't require me to have my own faith. He didn't actually believe 
uh, inner God. He, uh, he believed in evolution. Now, the really interesting thing was I asked him at one point in time, I said, how do you know that that's actually true, what you believe? Because um, he was throwing out all these beliefs, and I just said, how do you know it's true? And you know what he said? He goes, well, that's just what I think. And I, I, I kind of said, oh, that's interesting. I said, so you're just saying you believe that stuff and you think it's true because that's your preference? He goes, yeah, pretty much. He goes, look, I just don't go into the, for the faith thing, all right? And I said, well, what do you mean by faith? He goes, well, faith is believing something without evidence. <laughs> all right? Just going, that's interesting. And then I explained, I said, you know what? I said, if you think faith is believing something without evidence, I had to quote him something out of Hebrews because we've been doing Hebrews, right? <laughs> I said, you know, if you look in the Bible and you find the Greek understanding, the, the Greek word for faith means active trust. And you can only trust someone that you've got some evidence for. I said, I think faith's not about believing something without evidence. It's about believing something with evidence, but also going beyond the evidence that you've actually got. And I said to him, I said, I think you've got more faith than me. All right? And you know what he said? He said, you're right. I do. Because he didn't really have any evidence. So what I did then is I just thought, I'm going to stick a bunch of rocks in his shoe about the problems with his view in terms of the evidence. So I shoved a whole bunch of evidence in his shoe. I said, here's something. I gave him some homework. I said, you need to go away and you need to research this. And I said, don't just find it on some random website. Actually research and go to reputable websites. Um, but that was really interesting because his view on faith was faith is about something that you don't have any evidence for at all. And at some level, faith is about that, but that's not pr predominantly what faith is about. Faith is starting with the evidence you've got and then going past the evidence. And the truth is, it's, it's probably correct to say that every piece of knowledge goes beyond the evidence at some point. Okay? Probably, it's, it's, it's probably true about most things that you can start, you can have evidence for things and then people kind of go past that and they kind of hypothesise. Story number two. Yesterday at rugby, I was standing there, there was a, about an hour's gap in between uh, the game that one of my sons had just finished and the next game that I was uh, coach of and um, I stood there talking to a, uh, a couple of uh, people who were the parents of one of the boys who played Geordie's rugby team my eldest son's rugby team. Fascinating conversation, right? And to be honest, I probably felt a little bit like I do at the hairdressers. I just thought, well, I'm just happy just to stand and not kind of say anything. So we're having all this conversation about international affairs and this guy's a, a bull rider. Um, lovely, lovely couple they are. We're having this wonderful conversation. He starts talking about how he's not afraid of death, which I'm sure would probably be true if you're a bull rider, um, and that he's not worried about dying at all. And then somehow, we've had conversations before, somehow we got onto religion, all right, talking about religion. So then he starts waxing eloquent about what he thinks, right? And I'm standing there and I'm just going, oh man, like there's just, I don't know if you've ever had a conversation like this, but I have conversations like this with people sometimes. It's like, I could pick one out of 15 things that you've said in the last three sentences that we could talk about or nothing. Um, and this time I just thought, Look, I don't even know whether I'm going to go there. I just thought, no, I'm just going to, I'm just going to leave it. Because I didn't know, honestly, I just, I just didn't really know what to say. I didn't know what to engage with. And you know what he said at the end of him saying all this? So what do you think? <laughs> the last thing that he said before, what do you think, is he said, you know, I think all religions are basically the same. 
they all talk about love and they are really, to a large extent, he said they're a control mechanism to be able to control people. So you set up good and bad kind of categories within it so that you can control people. And then he goes, what do you think? All right. Um, I wonder what you'd say. I said to him, I said, look, you can't, I, you just can't say that they're basically the same. And then I gave him some examples of how they're not basically the same. And then I asked him, I said, look, how do you think everything got here? And you know, he goes, I think there's a central intelligence somewhere. I said, the CIA, because we were just talking about international <laughs> affairs. <laughs> he goes, no, no, not the CIA. But he says, I think there's a central, well, who, what's that? He goes, well, it's God. I said, well, what's, what do you mean? What do you mean by God? That's, that's a good question. And uh, he goes, well, he goes, I think there's an energy out there that's created everything. I'm just going, oh, that's interesting. And then he started saying stuff like, uh, there's an energy out there that created everything, and everything, in a sense, is God. Like the grass, he was talking about the grass and the trees. Everything's kind of God. It's all part of this one kind of energy thing. Now, if you know much about worldviews, he's just gone into pantheism, all right? Which is really the Hindu um, belief kind of framework, all right? And I left him with this question, right? It's, it's a really interesting contrast because with the first guy, he's saying faith is just kind of a made-up thing that kind of is absent of evidence. The next guy is saying, no, there is something. But what, what he was kind of saying, what he said to me a number of times is he said, this thing is so amazing and this central intelligence of this energy is so profound that you can't understand anything about it at all. So one guy's going... It's all made up. And this other guy's going, well, you can't understand anything about it. It's just so big and it's so intense. And I, made the, I asked this guy, I said, listen, I said, when you look around at the world, it looks like one of the really key things about the world is relationships, personhood, and love. Because he'd just been talking to me about that. All right? Is everyone cool with that? If you were just observing, that's what you'd notice. All right, relationships are really important between people. Love's really important. And he, and he agreed. And I said, so can you please tell me how a non-personal energy force creates personal people who have relationships and who love each other? I said, that's the big problem with evolution. The big problem with evolution is you get life from non-life and you get personhood and relational ability from non-relational stuff. How does that work? Everything that we see in our world kind of seems to be derivative of something else. So it was an interesting contrast as I was thinking about preaching this message this morning. It was an interesting contrast because one guy saying uh, you can't, it's all made up. The other guy saying you can't really know anything. And the good news is if you kind of combine those and tweak them, you get a biblical understanding that you can know something that God has come and he has spoken and he has communicated. Now, is it true that what we believe as Christian goes beyond the evidence? Is it? Absolutely it is. But we're not lacking evidence, all right? And we're not like this guy yesterday who kind of says, well, people just make up stuff to control people. See, I don't think that God came up with the idea of having rules in the Bible to control people. I mean, if you look at the Bible, what God's doing when he puts the rules in the Bible is he's saying, this is what I'm like. And then he says, I want you to be like me. But it doesn't stop there because the predominant thing in the Bible is not rules. It's not about you've got to try hard to be like me. It's God saying to you, I love you. I really do love you. And that's the reason why we love each other. That's the reason why love 
is such a central thing in our culture, and it's been a central thing for humanity since day dot, is because God is love. And that's why it's so touching, and that's why women in this room probably like to watch rom-coms, some of them. All right? It's all right, Sam. We'll have spew bags in the back of the chairs next week. No, kidding. I mean, that's, that's why we love to watch stories that have just got that note in them of, of, of love and care and concern. I think it just fits into the way that God's actually made us to be. And today, we're going to look at a prayer that pushes into the unknowable. The bizarre thing about God is God is, by definition, if you knew everything about God exhaustively, you'd probably be him. <laughs> All right? If he's that big, if he's that amazing... <coughs> You're not going to understand everything about him. Will you understand something? Yes, you will. Does God, is God a communicator? Is God a talker? Does God reveal himself? Yes, he does. All right? The fact that Jesus came down, one of the members of the Godhead, and walked on the planet tells you that he wants to communicate to you and he wants you to know something about him. So there's not nothing we can know about God. There's something that we can know about God. But God, I think, continually draws us further into the unknowable, if that makes sense. And that's exactly what this scripture talks about today. It's exactly what this prayer says. This is what Paul wants. Paul wants for you and for me and for his readers in Ephesus, he wants them to move into the unknowable and to know the unknowable, which is a contradiction. Let's have a look at it. Ephesians 3, verse 14 to 21. For this reason... now. It could be a therefore, and people are sick of it here, but at the project, when you see therefore, you've got to ask, what's it there for? Excellent. So what it's, what it's there for, let me tell you really quickly, is what Paul's just been saying is that Gentiles get to be part of the deal now. So for the whole of history up until Jesus came, you had to be a Jew to be a special person and get the special blessing. And the massive change happened with Jesus that everyone was included, everyone was welcomed in to be part of the family. <laughs> um, and it's a massive, massive change. And the truth is, the project would never have happened if Jesus didn't die on the cross and welcome everyone who was a Jew and everyone who wasn't a Jew to be part of his family. We wouldn't be here right now. Okay? Massive change. If you were a Jew... In the first century, you would have thought this is the biggest scandal ever. Like, what the hell is going on here? That God thinks that he can have for thousands of years Jews and you can kind of try and attach yourself to the Jews. And there was some stuff that you could do to try and attach yourself to the Jews in the Old Testament. But you never quite were one of the Jews, even though you kind of attached yourself to them. All of a sudden, Christ comes, dies on the cross, and all these people who aren't part of the family get to be included into it. Now, this is really interesting because you know what Paul's doing? Is he saying, if you're a Gentile, do we, do we actually have any Jews here today? Is anyone Jewish? Yeah, okay. Cool, we've got one. All right? So in an, in an Old Testament kind of sense, it was the Jews that had the direct privilege and the direct connection, in a sense, to God because God chose them as a special people. Everyone else in this room, you know what Paul's saying to you? You have got an incredible privilege and you need to max out your privilege. All right? 
This is what Paul's getting at in this prayer, and we're going to read the rest of it in a minute. But this is the context for it, right? He's going, you guys have actually... It's kind of like... Has anyone seen uh, the second incarnation of The Hobbit? All right? And uh, the desolation of... Small... Smag? Small... I don't know. And most of the movie, right, is in this room that's just filled with treasure. All right? And it's this fight between these dwarves and a dragon. And some of you haven't seen it, you just going, that sounds great. And it goes for about an hour and a half, and I, I don't even know. I, I can't even remember where the ending was, but I've seen it. I saw it on the plane on the way to the States recently. But to some extent, maybe to a large extent, you know, if you're a Gentile and you're a Christian, you've been let into the treasury. That's what it is. It's like the Jews have been allowed in there for a long time, but you, get, you actually get let in. All right? Now... You don't want to be, well, let me put it this way, if you're a Gentile, whichever one bar one here is, you want to get your money's worth. You with me? You get your money's worth. This is kind of what Paul's saying. He's going, get your money's worth. I don't know how many times in my family that we've done things to get our money's worth. All right? We need to eat this two litres of ice cream before checkout at 10 a.m., because otherwise it's going to go to waste. We need to get our money's worth out of the ice cream. <laughs> All right? And you're going to eat those dumb biscuits at the motel that taste like cardboard because they're free. All right? And you get given them, so you better just eat them. When I was in uh, America recently, I had a credit card, right? And uh, a, a cash passport, and there was money left on it. I'm just going, I'm going, to, I'm going to spend everything that's on this card. If I take any cash home, it's going to be in notes, not on the card. You see, this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, get your money's worth. Every privilege that God's given you, you want to get as much of it as you possibly can. Sound with me on that? Does that sound like a good idea? It's a great idea, all right? And you know what? It's a better idea than you think it's a good idea. All right? And he's praying and he's anxious to make sure that you make full use of everything and every privilege that God's given you in Christ. Here we go. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. This is uh, interesting. I mean, we, we kind of did this in church last week. All right? Typically, standing was a more normal posture amongst Jews, but kneeling wasn't unknown. This uh, church father, Eusebius, uh, referred to it as a familiar custom of Christians. All right? Because kneeling actually indicates submissiveness, solemnity and adoration. For this reason, I bow my knees before who? The Father. You see, it's a family. There's a family going on. And, and Paul's kind of saying, look, you're in the family. And there's a dad. And he's a really good dad. Which makes sense, because when you look around the world, what do you see? Well, you see families. And even if you don't have bloodline kind of families, what do you see? You see Groups of people who kind of act like families. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Did you see that? This is exactly what Paul's asking for you. He says, I want you to know the unknowable. And I think, 
It's, it's not just a knowledge no. This is a whole person no. Like in the depths of your being, he wants you to know the unknowable love of Christ. And the thing is, and I've said this before at the project, I could stand up here and I could say, do you know that God loves you? And you could probably go, yeah, I know that. But there's a sense in which Paul would say, no, you don't. There's more. There's always more. And part of the task of a preacher is to make it fresh, but part of the task of the audience is to work hard so that you hear the freshness and you hear the truth about God that's way deeper than you can imagine. You know, Paul's saying, ultimately, you will never, ever know the love of God for you to its fullest extent. Just stop and think about that. Those of you who have been in church for 10 years and you've heard Jesus preached and someone said, Jesus loves you, and you go, I oh, know. Well, you, you don't really. And I'm not saying that to have a go at you. That's amazing. The depth of God's love for you is amazing. And Paul's praying for that here. And do you know what he goes on to say? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. If you're actually going to know God's love, this is a really interesting thing that I've been thinking a lot about this week. You know God needs to give you strength to understand his love for you. Isn't that bizarre? I mean, for me, I, well, that's a bit bizarre. I don't, I don't quite understand what's going on there. So I thought I'd do, and this is a bit radical, but I thought I'd pray for people that would like a new revelation of God's love. And I'll pray for them now before we keep going. Because you, you actually need... I mean, the members of the Godhead, Godhead are God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit's the one that needs to give you strength, according to what Paul said, so that you can understand God's love for you. So I'm just going to pray in a minute. And if you are someone that wants a deeper understanding and revelation, and there's no pressure here at all on anyone, I'd love it if you'd just stand with me and I'm going to pray and ask God to give you strength so that you might actually get something from the Holy Spirit today, something deeper about God's love for you. So I'm going to pray now. So if you want to stand with me, you can. If you don't, that's cool. God, we stand in faith, in active trust in you, that you'll give us strength. Holy Spirit, I pray that you give us strength to understand the depths of your love for us. And God, I pray that you'd help us not to stop with an, an intellectual kind of understanding of your love, but we'd just push further. And we'd really open our hearts up to hear you say that you love us. And we'd hear you say that your love for us is unknowable. God, I pray for strength for everyone standing there. And God, even if people aren't standing, I'm going to pray that you give them strength too to understand your love. Amen. Why don't you grab a seat? Let's keep reading. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Listen to this last bit. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, 
according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. I think we get three things out of this uh, prayer. The first thing is we find out what the source of strength is. The second thing is we find out the context of strength. And the third thing is that we find out the end point of strength. The first thing is the source of strength. Note in uh, Ephesians three fourteen to 16, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, dot, dot, dot. You know what the source of your strength is going to be? Being in the right family. You need to be in the family. You see, uh, Paul's actually already said in Ephesians 2, he says, uh, for through him, Jesus, we have access in one spirit to the Father. You see, by faith today, for everyone here, whether you follow Jesus or not, if you put your trust in Jesus, you say yes to Jesus, you actually get access to the Father. Now, if you look up there on the screen, you can see how rich is the Father? Well, he's really rich, like super rich. And the really cool thing is, someone can be really rich. The old saying my dad used to use all the time, that was kind of from Disney, is you can be a real Scrooge. A lot of rich people can be real Scrooges, right? And they cannot be generous with their stuff. But this is not what God's like. This is not what the Father's like. He's, Paul's saying God the Father is incredibly rich and he's really generous. You can see in um, Ephesians 1 verse 2 to 3, the same letter written by Paul at the start, it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's an absolute spin out. God is just generously giving all of the time and he gives out of his richness. Now, if I were to ask you, does God have less riches when he gives them out? What would you say? Why not? It's inexhaustible. It's infinite. I mean, think about that. You watch the, the second Hobbit movie and you're in this massive big room with all this treasure, but there's still a limit to this massive amount of treasure. God's riches are inexhaustible. And he's determined that he wants to give them generously toward you. And you know what? God's actually not interested in you being an affiliate, a legal member, a subscriber, a visitor, an honorary member, an adherent, a stepchild, a backer, a believer, a devotee, a disciple, an enthusiast, an advocate, an aficionado, a fan, a hanger-on, a card-carrying member. He doesn't want you to be any of those things. He wants you to be a child. He wants you in the family. That's what he wants. And his disposition toward his family members is incredible. And you know what? Once upon a time, human beings were part, directly part of his family. And in the Garden of Eden, at the very start of all time, Adam and Eve decided they didn't want to be in his family anymore. And so they left him. And what happened, I think, to a large extent, was a real fracture in the universe. I did some uh, study just recently in uh, counselling children and adolescents, and one of the things we, we uh, walked through was uh, some of the struggles that adoptive kids actually have often in families. And I had a look at these this week, and I just thought, this is really interesting. Because, you know, I think 
the estrangement from God that we have. And if you don't follow Jesus today, there's some level, you've got a significant level of estrangement from God. And I actually think that Christians live often estranged from God and separated from God. And when I looked at these uh, symptoms or the the struggles that adoptive uh, kids have, I thought, man, this is actually quite a lot like us. Let me go through a few. These are straight out of my lectures, right? I didn't rework these. First one's this, sense of loss. Many adopted children feel a sense of lost identity, culture or connection to their past. You look at that and you just go, well, I I can see that. I mean, I I think that's probably one of the most common struggles of anyone on the planet is is struggling with their identity. Who are you? What, What makes you valuable? And you know what I'd say to you, and this is what I think Paul would say to you, well, the father, after every after which every family on earth is known. Do you notice that in Ephesians 3? That's your identity. Your identity is everyone who loves Christ. That's, it's kind of like your last name. I mean, it's weird, and I'm not telling you to go and do it because everyone will think we're more of a cult than they already do think we are. <laughs> All right? You could, it's like Peter Yahweh. Do you get what I'm saying? Oh, that's weird, but it's, it's Peter Yahweh. Yahweh is one of, the, one of the names for God. Peter Jehovah. It's like, oh, right, you're, you're in his family. Yeah, that's right. Here's another one. Unresolved grief. Adopted children feel a loss but don't understand how to articulate or express it. Unresolved grief often turns into anger. Feeling like a victim. Many adopted children feel a life-altering decision was made for them at a young age. That's kind of Romans 5, right? Original sin. A decision they couldn't control. This leads children to see themselves as victims. The world is not safe and I have to protect myself. It can lead to hopelessness and, and uh, depression. I think you see that. Have you seen that? Because you know what it is. What it is, is people need to get back in the family. If there's an estrangement going on between people and the real family that they belong to. Fear of not being good enough. Many adopted children live with a fear, whether vocalised or not, that they were somehow too bad for their birth parents to keep them. I reckon that's an interesting one too. I mean, you talk to you start talking to anyone who talks who's got some kind of belief in God. You know, they're probably instinctively. I mean, there's probably part of them that's going to go, oh, "I'm trying to live a good enough life for God." But part of the other side of that, trying to live a good enough life, is that they've got to live up to something to make someone accept them or love them. What about these three? Extreme behaviours. Often children don't know what to do with their feelings and as a result, fears and insecurities are acted out in extreme behaviours. That happens. Fantasising. Adopted children are tempted to fantasise about their birth family. They think about what it would be like to be happier or wealthier. They think about how much their family must miss them. And do you know what? I remember hearing a missionary say, uh, I heard a missionary talk who was... uh, a missionary in uh, one of the Soviet states, the US, the, one of the states of the USSR. And they spent a lot of time in the communist state there of uh, trying to rid the place of religion because that was the thing that was killing it, according to them, killing their state. And you know, um, you know what this guy said? He, just, he said they couldn't do it because there's a human impulse that kind of keeps going in that direction. I mean, there's a scripture in Ecclesiastes that says eternity is within the hearts of men. Um, 
and they just keep going after it. I mean, Nietzsche said that God is dead. Um, I remember seeing this, uh, reading this graffiti. It was written out in a book and said, uh, God is dead, Nietzsche. Nietzsche is dead, God. (laughs) (laughs) Which is what's happened. What about the last one? No, just let me make one more comment about the second one there. See, it's possible that there might be some people here today and you've, in a really appropriate way, you've, you've thought and you've dreamt about the fact that there's got to be someone out there that can actually love me the way that I really am. You know, and to some extent, you know what that is? That's actually, I think to some extent, that's a desire for family. Because a good family, I'm not saying a perfect family, but a good family, what can you do? Well, you can just go home and you can be who you are. And it's like you're just... Yeah, there's going to be conflict and there's going to be arguments and there's going to be fights, but it doesn't break the family bond. That's a default. And the family thing's not based upon your behaviour or anything. It's based upon your connection and your status, and it's a blood connection. And sometimes I think what happens is even with the people that we love the most and that love us the most, it's pretty rare that they see everything about us. There's still bits inside of us where we go, I just don't want to bring that out because if I bring that out, I'm scared that you won't love me. If you really saw the real me, you won't love me. And to some extent, I think that speaks to this second struggle of adoptive kids. Maybe there's someone that will love me. The third one there, some adoptive children may want to search for their birth parents. This is a normal desire. It is wise to be supportive if the child is emotionally mature and the circumstances are appropriate. That's what I'm encouraging that you would do. Now, a lot of you have already found it. You've already found God. And some of you may not have. And you seem to know he's looking for you. God's, we don't believe in a deist God who's going to sit separate from everything else and just kind of drill sergeant that tells you what you need to do. We live in a world where there's a God who pursues his children and he seeks them out. The difficulty is that we also live in a world where his kids like to hide from him and run away from him. This is what God's like. This is a, Ephesians 2 says that we're dead in our disobedience to God. Paul goes, to say, goes on to say, he says, But God, being rich in mercy, not giving us what we deserve, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Listen to this. You know why God came and pursued you? And if you're not a Christian, you just need to know he's pursuing you. And he wants to be connected with you. Paul's about to tell you the reason why God sent his son to die on a cross to save you, to express his love to you. Listen to this. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. 
You know what he's, you know what that means? It's the Sonnegel version. He pursued you and made you part of his family so he could give you lots of presents forever. Hallelujah. Yeah. That's what grace is. Grace is an undeserved gift. So he pays for everything. He dies on the cross and he pays for absolutely everything. Why? Because he wants to give you more stuff. And it's a really dumb thing that Christians do sometimes. They get saved and then they feel like they've got to pay God back. God's not interested in you paying him back. All right? Aside from the fact that you can't do it, he's not interested. His deal is he wants you to be part of his family. This is kind of like, you know when your kids go to grandma and granddad's house and they give them all stuff? You know that? This is almost kind of a cosmic version of that. You get in God's family, what's he going to do? Well, he's just going to keep giving you presents all the time. Who knows I got some gifts from God yesterday? Yeah, probably all of you, in spite of the three hands that were up. Because <laughs> you know what? Jesus said, the grace and the goodness of God falls on the just and the unjust, just like the rain falls on the just and the unjust. All right? Do you know what? There's not a person on this planet that didn't get a whole bunch of gifts from God yesterday. And you've got a whole bunch of gifts already today. And you know what? He hasn't run out. And he's got some for this afternoon. And tomorrow. And the next day. And you know what? If I was to ask you again, does Jesus or does God, Jesus, Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit's God, the Father's God. If, you, if you're not connected to Christianity, that's a trinity. But does God run out of gifts? Come on, does he run out of gifts? Like, seriously, just think about that for a minute, can you? I just do that. I'm going to stop for like 10 seconds and just think, God is disposed toward me in a way that he is just going to give me gifts and he's never going to run out. And he doesn't have less. Because if he had less, that would mean he's got a limited amount. This is amazing. Okay. Man, I'm going to finish at point two today because I haven't even got there yet. I want to finish at the context of strength. Maybe you get the rest of it next week. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through what? Through his spirit, right? In your inner being. Who here would like some more power? Now, I'm not... It's a dangerous question to ask, right? Because part of human nature is going to go, yeah, I'd like a bit of power. I could really do something with a bit of power. But if I rephrase it, I said, who here would actually like more strength? See, God wants you to be stronger internally. And that happens through his Holy Spirit. Strengthen with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I think there's at least two things here that bring about strength. You know, one of them is that the Holy Spirit gives it to you which is why Paul's asking for it. 
And you know I'm going to stop in a minute, and what I want to do at the end of the service today is I want to, we just want to get people who want to come down who just say, I'm weak, I'm tired, I need more strength, I'm struggling, I'm not struggling, but I'd like to be stronger. And we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to actually give people more strength. Now, we think that's a good thing to do. Because Paul thinks it's a good thing to do, and he was inspired by God to write what he wrote. So I think you ought to be asking the Holy Spirit. You get up in the morning, you just go, well, I'm just going to need some strength today. And it's not going to come from me, and it's not going to get done by me just kind of sucking it up and just getting the day done. I'm going to, and some of you are going, no, I think I can get the day done on my own. Look, you can't, all right? You've never been able to do it on your own. It's just that you're utilising God's grace and you don't even know about it. All right? Is that true? It's just he's being kind to you and you think you're doing it on your own, but you're not, all right? He's kind of helping you to do it. So the first thing is you get strength from the Holy Spirit. You know what the second thing is in terms of the context of strength? Power from the Holy Spirit and and an assured sense of God's love. I mean, you know that when someone has got a really keen sense that they're loved, it's pretty hard to knock them down, isn't it? And I think Paul would say to you today, he says, ask for strength and know that you're loved. And the weird thing is, Paul said, well, you're not going to know that you're loved unless you've got strength to know that. And this is not just a one-off thing. You know, you can see at the end of uh, this prayer of Paul's in verse 20, he says, according to the power that's at work within us. You know what he's saying? He's saying there's a continuous power that God wants to give through his Holy Spirit. Now, you might go, well, I've got Christ, haven't I? Doesn't God live within me? Yeah, theologically, that's where we stand at the church. You become a Christian, you have God living within you. But you know what? I want to say this to you. I think there's degrees of Christ living within you. I think there's degrees of power. So I don't think it's right to sit there and go, I've just got, I've got, I've got this level. My dial's on six <laughs> out of ten. And you know what I'd say to you? So let's get it up to seven. So I think I've got a reasonable understanding of God's love for you. Well, let's just get that one up a bit too. Yeah, I think Jesus is, you know, and this is exactly what Paul's saying here in Ephesians. He goes, um, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Now, you know, the word dwell there in the Greek, you know what it actually means? It means settling in in terms of settling in at home. And it doesn't actually mean a visitor settling in. It means someone who owns the place settling in. You know, and sometimes I was saying this to uh, one of my boys last night. One of my boys said uh, yesterday, I think it was, he goes, how do, you work out, how do you work out how to say so much stuff at church? And some of you probably think that too. <laughs> and I told him about this, you know. And I said, don't you know, you, you know, it's true that sometimes we told God to get out of the house, yeah. don't we? So I've got this one, uh, or I don't really want to do what you want me to do. So you, can you just get out of the recliner chair, <laughs> turn the TV off and get out, just for even five minutes? And you know what Paul's saying? He's going, let's go to the next level of Jesus living in you by faith. So what's faith? Faith is active trust. So when you take Jesus at his word and you bank upon it, there's a sense in which Jesus dwelling in you goes up a notch. He settles in, you get him a drink, he sits in the recliner chair and he's just doing stuff all the time because he doesn't need to do anything to do anything, if that makes sense. He can just kind of 
in the, at the very beginning, he created the whole world just by speaking. You didn't have to work up a sweat for that. And he wants to settle in like he really owns the place. And you know what? He does. He does. I'm going to stop, and I'm about halfway through. Because I really felt early in the week like what God wanted... I just felt like God wanted us to spend some time today praying. Okay? Now, I was going to go into uh, how does the Holy Spirit make someone powerful and a whole bunch of other things. Maybe we might do that next week. But what's really important right now is uh, I'd love to provide the opportunity for people to be prayed for, for strength and for a deeper revelation of God's love for them. Because that'll change your life. Some of you might have read a blog that I wrote about how you probably heard that saying, hurt people hurt people. Well, I think the reverse is true too. I think love people love people. And I think all of us need to get a deeper understanding of God's love for us. Let me just throw in a couple of reasons why I think it's difficult for us and the reasons why we need strength to understand God's love. I think the big reason is because there's lots of competitors. Because right now, a lot of us are just happy living in a land that's not reality. Self-deception, you know. And sometimes to actually get to a point where you just go, I sense God's deep love for me, you've just got to look at yourself honestly. For some it's religion, for some it's pride, you know. Because if you're actually going to receive God's love, you know what? You actually need to be vulnerable. Like you need to not have plan B, C, D, W, X, it's like, God, if you don't love me, I'm done. You see, to be loved by God and to understand God's love for you, you need to actually be needy. And none of us here probably like being needy. Maybe you need to admit that you're wrong. You see, receiving God's love for you is about banking on something or banking on someone that's beyond your control. And I think probably the biggest one, the biggest difficulty, difficulty that we have is we probably don't spend enough time to get an accurate knowledge of ourselves and the way that we work. And if we actually spent long enough to get enough accurate self-knowledge, we'd actually get a much clearer understanding of God's love. And I, I mean, I had a little thing like that I'm not going to go into it now because we don't have the time but I had that happen this week really quickly basically what I worked out this week is I just thought my serving God is fueled more by the results than my serving God now you might go well where does God's love fit into that and I'll tell you where it fits in well he loves me He's called me to do a particular thing and he's promised to give me the resources to get that done and he's promised 
that he'll help me and he'll help me to get it done and he'll strengthen me and he'll look after me and if I blow it, he'll forgive me. And you know what he said? It doesn't even really matter ultimately whether you get the results or not. What's most important is that you just do what I ask you to do. And he's with me. Now, that's a really tiny change. But, you know, if you get an understanding of God's love and you actually grind it down deep into your life, you'll find a few spots like that and it'll change the way that you do stuff. Because he forgives me for trying to... For, he forgives me for serving a false God in a sense of results. And he draws me to himself to serve him, which is far better. So, Nathan, if you want to uh, come forward, mate, Nathan's just going to sing a bit of a song. And if you're a, um, a community group leader, you're welcome to come. If, if there's people in your community group or other people you'd like to pray for, you're welcome to uh, come and pray for them. But I just thought we'd take this opportunity. If you're someone who, uh, you'd like someone to pray for you, you need more strength, you need more, a deeper understanding of God's love for you, we'd love to pray for you. So why don't you stand with me? And uh, I might just pray. God, we probably um, God, there's probably people in here that are like that. God, I cut my hair. You think maybe most of it's made up. Don't really believe that God actually became a man and communicated and walked with us and walked on the planet. I had to have a shower. I had to swap flies away. And maybe some of us are like the the dad from rugby yesterday who just thinks that all the rules of religion are about control. They're all basically the same. God, there is no other God on the face of the planet that gives his life that comes down and gives his life in love and then you don't expect payment back what you expect is to give more gifts to us so the people who are fighting against you the people that killed you you give more presents to. And God, your word says in Isaiah 55 that your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts. And man, is that the truth? That is so true. It's just not. Because if we ever caught someone like us who fought against you and didn't want to do anything that you said, we'd probably throw him in jail or probably kill him. 
what you do is you find the orphan, you find the estranged child, you search for them, you seek them out, and you make them part of your family. So God, we, on behalf of anyone else here who wants to uh, join me in this, God, we just say to you, we're sorry because we've thought too many times that we understand your love. And what we've done is we've tarnished the grandeur of who you are. We've tarnished your kindness toward us. We've removed its luster, its shininess, We've removed the amazement. And sometimes, God, that's probably been my fault as a speaker sometimes, is that, God, words run out. Words run out to describe it. So, Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that you'd move in our hearts. God, that you would move to bring strength into the people in this church. God, that there would be an increase in power for people here. Your word is clear about the fact that you strengthen the weak. Your word's also clear in Corinthians about the fact that when I'm weak, then I'm strong because you come in and you be strong inside of us. And so God, I pray today that there'd be an increase in a sense of strength today. God, for those who are weary, those who are tired, those who've never had it, that your Holy Spirit would come in and bring strength for them. And God, those that are in a good place, those who are walking closely with you, those who are strong, God, that they'd be stronger, that there would be more strength, God, on the inside, that your Spirit would work in us more. And God, that we'd know you and that we'd know your love for us. And so God, I pray today for a deepening in both of those things. We're prone to self-deception. We're prone to, to pride. We're prone to covering things up. We're prone to excuses. And you always speak the truth. And today, God, I just pray that your truth would cut through about your goodness. And so we pray with the Apostle Paul, God, increase our strength, increase our understanding of your love, increase our understanding of you.